I want to look at the first time that we see her is in Luke 10. I want you to see this in verse 38. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now I want to say it here from the beginning. Most of the time when I'm, you hear this story, you're going to hear about the difference between the Mary and the Marthas. Jesus loved both Mary and Martha. He loved them. However, Mary just got it. <laughs> he welcomed her into his house, and she had a sister called Mary, and this is what Mary did. She sat at his feet, and she heard his word. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. There it is. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus, and she began to question Jesus' empathy, and Jesus' compassion, and Jesus' fairness. And he said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get off her lazy behind and help me. That's Corey Russell's kind of rendition into that right there, but adding a little bit to the text, but that's what's implied right there. Jesus answered and said to her, I can see him doing it with a smile, like a, I love you, honey, Martha, Martha, you are worried. Everybody say worried. worried. Say troubled. troubled. And then he says this, you are worried and troubled about many things. He says, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, and it will not be taken away from her. Whew. This is all Mary did. Jesus, the Son of God, comes into her house with hungry disciples. He's hungry, and immediately Martha, which is good. We need green rooms. We need people doing uh, serving food and taking care of needs. I'm thankful to God for that. And Martha immediately goes into service mode, but Mary does something revolutionary, and she swims against the current of busyness and all the swirl around Jesus, and she simply did this. She sat at his feet, and she heard his word. I want to tell you the, the, the primary place right now that you have got, this is how we respond. Sister just gave it to us. It breaks my heart. I do conferences 35 weekends a year. I love how God uses these catalytic moments to shift you into a new season. But if it doesn't shift into real practical changes in your life, this will be a memory in four days. Conference highs last for about three to five days, and it gives you a window to make new decisions on how you live your life. And if you don't, it'll become a memory. And that's why we live waiting for the next conference, because we're actually thinking we love riding the wave of it without actually shifting our life. Because most of us live in the swirl. Most of us live governed by anxiety, trouble, busyness, distraction, and we're swirling around with everything else, and it's because we haven't made concrete decisions with our schedules, with our lives, to say, come hell or high water, I refuse to get caught in the swirl, I'm going to sit down, shut up, and open up my Bible and let him talk. Setting down and shutting up. Setting down and letting him kiss you with his word and where you get washed. 
And I promise you, as you begin to consistently build a time and a place that you meet with the Lord, I promise you, all voices from within will begin to try to tell you to get off your lazy behind. You will get every call from every person that needs you right now when you actually begin to focus on prayer. It blows my mind. I try to focus and every person that needs me right now is calling. That's why I have set it into my life. I am going to go to bed by 10 and wake up at 5.30 because I'm not getting as many texts and calls at 6 a.m. I'm serious. If you don't build a time and a place to meet with the Lord, you will get swirled away. Not only individual, but corporate. I don't want to go into all of that, but we need to do it together. Are you with me this morning? No, no, are you with me this morning? She takes this revolutionary step. Guys, I just want to tell you something right now. What it means to sit down, shut up, and just open up your heart before the Lord and let the kisses of His Word awaken your heart. Let it kiss your heart. Let it touch your heart. There will be many distractions. There'll be calls. There'll be demands. There'll be needs. There'll be lust within you there'll be things within you that want you to get off of that place but i want to invite you to begin to prioritize five more minutes just stay five more minutes no matter what comes inside of you just stay five more minutes and say jesus i I want to i want to come out of the swirl around you because this is how we function we function out of what we receive from him she said at his feet And see, this is what Martha does. This is what happens because it's not about Mary versus Martha. It's about Mary first. It's about Mary first. And you know what happens if you make what you do for Jesus your primary reward? Two things. One is, you'll get angry when Jesus doesn't reward you based on how hard you work for him. You will always be feeling like you're getting the short end of the stick because you're never rewarded for how hard you work, and it shows you that that's, that's your reward and you getting noticed for what you do. But when you make intimacy with Him your primary reward, that becomes the definition of success. It becomes the definition of empowerment from which you do the works out of. But if you make the works your reward, that's your reward. That's where you get your identity. That's where you get your sense of recognition. And number two, you'll always get mad at Jesus. And you'll never think he cares enough or sees what you do. If there's anything that we can be about in this hour, in the midst of a busy world, guys, if you don't learn this right now, 2020 is going to swirl you away. We're about to enter into an election year. Guys, it's 2.0 on the treadmill right now. It's about to get chaotic in this nation with... Fox and CNN and MSNBC and all kinds of stuff coming out as we enter into an election year. There's swirl on that side. There's swirl in the sports realm. There's swirls all around us. And if we do not learn how to sit and prioritize that place of encounter with Him, your soul is going to get so weighed down with busyness, distraction, anxiety, and heaviness, you're not going to be able to discern what he's saying and doing, and you're not going to be able to survive the coming season. I'm not even talking about end times. I'm talking about 2020. 
Lord, don't you care? He goes, Martha, I love you, honey, but anxiety runs your life. Worry runs your life. Trouble runs your life. Your soul is so stuffed with everybody else, you have no place that's been set apart for me. He says, there's many things that governs you. You go from this thing to that thing to this thing to that thing, and your soul is in disarray. I want to build a quiet place on the inside of you. One thing is needed. One thing is needed. Jesus, get practical. How can one thing be needed? He says, if you get this one thing right, it will set a trajectory for 10 other things to come right into your life. But if you get this one thing wrong, it will take you in a completely different direction and you won't know it till 10 years later. Mary has chosen. Everybody say chosen. God will not make this choice for you. You've got to make it. I like to say it this way. God does not dance with mannequins. First off, that's a weird picture. <laughs> Going over to Dillard's and just start dancing with the woman with the black dress. And what are you doing, buddy? Everybody wants to be the mannequin, God. I just want you to do everything for my life. I just want the preacher to lay hands on me and everything change in my life. And I want to get that teaching or this, that thing and then everything will change in my life. God, you do it all. I'm going to be the mannequin. It's all about God. And the Lord would do something like slap you upside the head and say, why don't you, make, why don't you dance with me? Why don't you make choices in your personal life? Do you understand that God honors your choices? God's given you dominion and saying, you can have as much of me as you want. You can have as much of God as you want. And God says, you make choices, I'll dance with you. Everybody's waiting on God. And God says, come on. Mary has chosen the good part. Do you know there's a good part? Do you know there's a better part? Do you know that there's first works in the kingdom? And he says, and it will not be taken away from her. Which means this. Mary just invested her time into a place that will live forever. Now go ahead and turn with me to John 11. John 11. I want to look now at the second story. So that's the first part that we never graduate from. You want to build a life on your knees. I want to invite many of you as you enter into this season, I want to invite you to shift your prayer life from you doing all the talking. I want to shift and I want to give you a new paradigm. Why do you do all the talking in your prayer time? Does anybody in here like hanging out with somebody who never listens? I'll tell you, I have two coffees with you, and if you talk the whole time, blow your kisses, I'll see you later. But if it's all about you doing the talking and you sharing what's on your heart, we can't have relationship. Intimacy is bred out of mutual submission and communion with one another. And because most of us come with our list, because most of us have God on a, on a thing saying, if you break in on these three things, I'll go in deeper. And I only want to talk to you about what I need you to do. I need you to save, heal, and I need money. And the Lord's saying, I'm not on trial. I'm going to rip your paper up so you can look at me. I'm going to rip your little prayer list up. 
I'm not some little money slot that you throw your little prayer into. I'm a person, and I want intimacy with you. And you want to live at a distance with a prayer list. I, I have a prayer list, but it's, it's down the line. He wants you. Well, what, this is why we need to begin to build a history of receiving His Word. Everybody say, hear His Word. Don't just stand over this book reading this book. Let this book stand over you and let it speak to you as you read it. We need such a revelation and revolution in how we read the Bible. Because the word you receive will be tested. The word you receive will be tested. And that brings us to the second part in the second story of Mary of Bethany. And it's going to be the story of the death of her brother Lazarus. I want you to look at this story in John 11. This is absolutely amazing because John is going to connect this to Mary of something she's going to do in the future, but it's going to connect this story to what she's going to do in the future. Look at verse 1 of John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. I love this. It was that Mary. Everybody say that Mary. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. What I love about John right here is that John is going to connect us to something we haven't read in the gospel narrative yet. So what he's going to talk to us about a future season where Mary's going to take oil and pour it over Jesus. I want to tell you that in John 11 is where she got that oil. And the oil is produced in the crushing. The oil is produced in the death seasons and in the divine delay seasons when God isn't breaking in on your timetable. Come on, you going to be with me this morning or not? You just got 30 more minutes to check off your Sunday morning list of things you got to do so you can be a good Christian. You got 30 more minutes and then you can check it off so you feel better about yourself. Are you going to endure this or are you going to hear this? They send a letter to Jesus and they go, Behold, he whom you love is sick. And I love Jesus as soon as he gets the letter. Look at what Jesus says from the very beginning of this story. He says, This sickness is not unto death. He didn't tell us that Lazarus wouldn't die. He just says it's not going to end in death. But for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now look at this. Now just keep it there for a second. He makes a clear definitive statement. This is going to be about glory. This is going to be about my power and my glory and the revelation of my glory. Jesus knows what's going to happen from the very beginning. But what is so amazing about Jesus, he deal, still does not supersede the process to get to the end point. Jesus doesn't just take what's going to happen and translate to the end but he's actually going to let a process come forth because he's doing something in his dearly beloved friends to bring them to the new place in God. And look at this. It says, when Jesus said that, he said, go to the next verse. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We know Jesus loved everybody, but he loved these guys more. He loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So that when he heard that he was sick, 
The natural next verse would be, he translated to Bethany, laid his hands on Lazarus, and they got a party going on. It says he loved them, therefore when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That's one of the most confusing Bible verses in the Scripture. And the thing that blows me away is that Jesus doesn't do this to Pharisees or enemies or strangers. He's going to do it with friends. He's going to do it with people that he loves. And that what is it about Jesus and his deeply intimate friends that there will come some seasons in your life where you need an immediate breakthrough in God and in some places and in some senses the thing that you're crying out to God is going to die and he's going to let it die. If you're in one of those seasons, who, who in here knows those kind of seasons? Well, good news, you must be a friend. It says he stayed where he was at two more days in the place. Now go ahead and skip to verse 17. Skip to verse 17. Verse 17. Here it is. So when Jesus came, so now he's waited two more days, and now by the time he gets into Bethany, look, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Everybody say four days. What happens when Jesus is four days late? What happens when he's late to the breakthrough? Maybe some of you in a marriage. A marriage that you needed breakthrough yesterday, and now it's dead. And Jesus isn't breaking in on your timetable. What about a kid that you grew up in the things of God, and now he's gone into his teenage years, got in with the wrong crowd, and he's run a different direction? What do you do when he's four days late to the prayer you know he heard? When you needed that breakthrough in finances, and he didn't show up in time. We don't want to talk about this. I'm going to talk to you about real faith. What happens in those seasons when the thing you desperately cried out to God for doesn't happen? When all the stuff is coming out, because I believe that it's in the four days story, in the four days late, there are two types of people that come to the forefront. And it's in this furnace that God will allow to bring forth a true faith, not a religious faith, but a true faith. And I believe that found in Mary and Martha are the two responses and you've got to be careful to enter into one and you want to follow Mary into the other. See, I believe that Martha never learned to priest and to wait before the Lord in Luke 10. She was always busy, always in the swirl. Because if you don't prioritize intimacy with God today, in crisis seasons, the same swirl will catch you I want you to see this. I want you to run with me this morning. So he had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near that. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. Look at Martha as soon. Everybody say as soon. So I just picture Martha like this. She's pacing in the house. Where's he at? I know he got the letter. Why isn't he here? Why isn't he here? He, he didn't break in. We, we, we reached out to him. As soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. There's Mary sitting again. There's a difference. Martha runs to Jesus and she's going to say this phrase. Lord, if you'd have been here, 
my brother would not have died. She is going to stand up to Jesus and saying, if you would have gotten here on time, we wouldn't be in this mess. But then she's going to enter into what I call fake Christianese praying, which has all the right theological terms, all the night plastic phrases, the bumper sticker Christianity, t-shirt Christianity, fake smiles, nice positive statements, but it's actually filled with demonic unbelief. Because she goes, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother, brother, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know. Everybody say, I know. I know. When anybody says, I know, they don't know. <laughs> but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I love Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, honey, I don't want you to ask me to ask God. I'm trying to pull you into the story with me. I want you to ask him. He goes, I know that you can ask God and he will give it to you. I love Jesus. I just see him like just looking like this, unmoved by it all. And he says, matter of fact, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, here it is. I know that he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus just stone cold like this. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection's not just coming, resurrection's here. Do you understand that Martha gave one of the greatest testimonies in Scripture? She believes in the resurrection of the dead. She believes in the future day of the resurrection of all the saints. That's good theology. She knows that, God, that Jesus can ask anything and he can get it. He goes, honey, I want you to quit living in just some future day, and I want you to pull a future day into today because I am the resurrection and I am the life. And I'm looking for you to partner with me in this season instead of hiding behind your Christian language. See, there's so many points you hit in the divine delays. I see it happen over the last 25 years where hearts will begin to slowly withdraw. They'll still come to church. They'll pay their tithe. They'll be good husbands and dads, good moms and, 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 and wives, but they'll never trust him again. He said, he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. I love this. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And when she said these things, keep going with me, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. See, I think Martha hit a wall called, I don't know how to get us out of this mess. I am so filled and I have no history with him in this kind of place. Mary learned something in Luke 10. I need Mary to come speak into this situation. Now go ahead and go to verse 31. What you're about to see is that Mary is going to pray. Go ahead and go to the next part. Mary is going to pray. Let, go ahead and go to the next verse. There it is. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell down at his feet. Everybody say, at his feet. She's going to say the exact same phrase as Martha, 
but she's going to say it from his feet. And she's going to say it with tears in her eyes. She's not going to have the answers. She's not going to know everything and have all the right theological language, but she's going to say the same phrase, but it has two different meanings. And it's, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I don't understand what's happened. I don't understand why you didn't break in. And I refuse to get out of the tension of not knowing I'm going to live in the tension and I'm going to let it cut me. I'm going to let it bleed me. And I'm going to pray to you out of this place of not knowing. And I believe that Mary let it cut her instead of her hiding behind it and her being cut by it actually called out to something in Jesus. You'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. Do you see that? What, what kind of praying is needed to awaken a groan in God? What kind of prayers awaken a groan in God? What stirs up the bowels of God? What stirs up the compassion of God? What stirs up the, the ethos, the emotions, the pathos of God that stirs the storm on the inside of Him and moves Him into action? He groaned in the Spirit and He said, where's He at? Where's He at? Can I tell you what I believe happened right here? I believe that Mary sat at His feet and she heard His Word so that in the hour of her crisis, her deep called out to his deep, and she pulled a resurrection out of him. He says, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then we see the longest verse in the Bible, verse 35. Make it big. Put Jesus wept and just put that on there. Just put verse 35 alone. I don't know if you're able to do that. It's deep. Everybody say, Jesus wept. They say it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but I'm convinced it's the longest. I'm convinced that's the longest. For years I thought it was five seconds, maybe a sniffle as he was walking to the tomb. But after meditating on this verse over the last season, I believe Jesus, surrounded by Pharisees, Sadducees, critics, skeptics, disciples, friends, ongoers, and strangers... In front of everyone, a storm began to brew in the Son of God. Out of his spirit flowed a storm, and it came out of his eyes, it came out of his spirit, and in front of everyone else, the Son of God began to heave and began to weep and began to sob and began to cry and began to groan and began to heave. Have you ever had anyone just break down in front of you and move into ugly heaving? In a public place. Maybe one of us will do it with maybe one other trusted person, a friend, a spouse, somebody. But who does it in front of the whole world? The Son of God does. I want you to understand that there is something so holy. Keep that verse up there. There is something so holy in John eleven thirty five 35 that I believe is a doorway for the church in this hour. There is a revelation, John eleven thirty five. 35. There is a doorway of revelation into the vulnerability of God, into the humility of God, into the emotions of God. 
It's okay, you know the verse. Are you with me this morning? I don't feel like you are. I don't feel that hunger pulling on this. I feel like I'm just filling up your mind for something that you can think about for the next week. How many in here have been in seasons or is in seasons where Jesus has been four days late? Has it cut you? No, has it cut you? Has it cut you? Have you, have you come out? Have you come out of just living at a distance? Or, I understand the pain, just checking out. Running to ESPN. Running to political shows. Running to friends. Some of us may be running to bottles or running to other relationships to anesthetize and medicate the pain of God. Where were you when you said you were going to be here? And yet we have our smiles, we have our language, and yet the deepest thing, yeah, just, just, just bring it down just a touch. I want you to feel this, and I, I'm not trying to, but I'm just trying to, provoke you into a new place in God to say I want you to look at the things the deepest things you've cried to God over and say God where are you because I believe he wants to bring you to your knees he wants to release something out of your soul and bring you to a new place of prayer in your life I believe on the other side of your religious praying is real praying I believe there's a holy desperation and we're, this is what we've got to get delivered from is the picture that prayer needs to be pretty. Prayer is to be ugly. It can be ugly. Tears, snot. God, where were you? God, where are you? I don't know where you're at. And I'm going to break out of my fakery. I'm going to break out of my living at a distance. I don't even know. And I'm grieved that I don't feel. I'm grieved that I've created safe barriers and safe theological constructs to live in this. Jesus wept. A storm comes out of the Son of God. And then look at verse 36. Well, verse 36 is everybody giving their commentary about what Jesus is doing. Some say he loves Lazarus. The other one said, why didn't he get here earlier? And then go ahead and look at verse 37. Jesus wept, they loved him. Go to verse 38. Then Jesus again groaning in himself. What does that look like? Groaning in himself and he came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is speaking over many of you. And that thing you've cried out for, I believe with all my heart that we're moving into the season where Jesus is declaring, take away the stone. Take away the stone. I'm about to release something new in your life, something new in your family, something new in your finances, something new in your bodies, something new, and I'm going to shift things in your life. Take away the stone, which means I want you to move in faith, and I want you to partner with this next thing I'm about to do. Take away the stone, and now we get to see 
how Martha's I knows were really glorified unbelief. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench. I thought you said you knew. I thought you had the right language. I thought you were ready to partner and that he can do whatever he says. God, and he says, Jesus, this is embarrassing. Lazarus stinks. Look at what Jesus said to her. Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? But what I love is that belief looks like broken, weeping, tears. I don't understand. God moved. That's what faith looks like. Did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Next verse. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. The roar of God comes out. I want to tell you what gave birth to the resurrection power of God. It was tears that gave birth to resurrection. Tears that gave birth to resurrection. I believe there's a spirit of prayer that's coming on us. Tears are coming to the church. Tongues are coming to the church. And travail is coming to the church. Lazarus, come forth. That's where you get oil. It's in the crushing. I believe that he's wanting to bring us to a new place of desperation. I said this last night. I don't know if you were here, but I believe September and October is a window season for some of us to lean in afresh with some fresh prayer and fasting and to begin to go again and ask God for breakthrough and ask him for a connection into his heart. Amen? Turn me to Mark 14. Thank you, Jesus. Mark 14. Hallelujah. We're now going to see the last story of Mary of Bethany. I could take you to John 12, but I like the way Mark lays out some details that I like. John 12 tells us it's Mary. There were two Marys that anointed Jesus in Scripture. There was Mary Magdalene, who is most likely the sinful woman of Luke 7. She's been forgiven much, therefore she loves much, and she anointed Jesus with her own tears. I think that's kind of coming too, but Mary of Bethany, what she does is she's going to take an alabaster flask of very costly oil, and she's going to anoint Jesus several days before his crucifixion. Look with me in verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came, as he said at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, and she broke the flask. Everybody say she broke it. And she poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves, and they said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? 
it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, leave her alone, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? See, she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Once again, Mary never says a word in this story. All she does is do acts. And the acts are prophetic in nature. And we're, we're about to find out is that this will become one of the clearest pictures of what a life looks like that's been impacted by the gospel. She breaks into the room. She breaks through the protocol of what women should be doing in that generation. She breaks through with an alabaster flask of very costly oil. Most scholars have said this is most likely her inheritance from her family. I'm not talking about a little dab of cologne. This is worth $30,000. This is her 401k. This is her retirement plan. And she breaks into the room, seeing who Jesus is, knowing who he is. She breaks through, breaks it, and begins to pour it all over Jesus' head, all over Jesus' body, and anoint him, and, and just begin to love him and extravagantly love him in the presence of everybody else. She could care less what anybody else thought about her. And as soon as she did it, all the disciples began to criticize her. I tell you, religious spirits will criticize extravagance. Religious spirits will say, you are wasting your time, you're wasting your money, you're wasting your energy, and they will criticize and attack you. <clears throat> Do you know that you are blinking and you will be dead in a second? Do you understand that? Is life going by slow for anybody unless you're under 18? I've got a few blinks. That's called my alabaster flask of very costly oil. You've got a few blinks. And most of us are trying to build as many props around us to keep us from dying. And I'm like, God, as long as you let me live, I want to live every waking moment to take my life and pour it over you. And what I do with my time, my money, my relationships, the people that I'm running with, God, I want to lavish and love Jesus through everything in my life. Jesus, you aren't a slice of my pie. You are the pie. Every one of us in this room have an alabaster flask. And when you stand before Jesus, he will ask you, what did you do with it? Where did you pour it out at? Well, I can tell you everything about Florida State, or I can tell you everything about Miami, or I can tell you everything about Florida. I love sports. I do. But beloved, it's idolatry for some of us. It's deep. That stirs your affections. That stirs your daydreams. And religion will let it happen. As long as you show up to church and pay your tithe and be a good person.
she broke it, and religion criticized her for it. Do you know why? Because they were sitting around the table saying, who's going to sit at his right hand and who's going to sit at his left in the kingdom? There was a political spirit she broke through. There was the jockeying for position. There was a who can get the closest to Jesus. Who's going to get the most anointed ministry? And this woman breaks into the room and says, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about any of that. We will never read about this girl never again in Scripture. People will give a lot more money than what she gave. People will do a lot more than what she did. What's awesome about Mary, she did it before it was cool. And she did it before anybody else saw him. And she worshipped him when it wasn't the popular thing. That's what I want to be a part, is loving the Son of God when no one hardly sees Him. Jesus says, leave her alone. And He asks the question, why do you trouble her? What is it that what she just did that's causing you to manifest? He says, she has done a good work for me. Jesus calls that work. He says, guys, quit the poor language. It was Judas Iscariot saying, we need to give this and give it to the poor. Jesus struck right at the heart. He goes, you got the poor with you always. I'm not always here. Which means this, take advantage of moments. And then he said this phrase, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Do you know that none of them disciples could get it through their thick skulls that Messiah was going to be crucified? We see with Mary of Bethany, she had revelation. The tender heart is the revelation heart. And she goes, not only do I agree with the offensive way you're coming, I'm going to prepare you for it. And then Jesus says, Peter, James, and John... You're going, to take the four, you're going to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Everything's going to be shifted because of your witness. And when you preach the death of Jesus and you preach the resurrection and the soon coming, King, I want you to tell this story of what you just saw because this is the clearest picture of what a life looks like that's been impacted by the gospel. What this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. This is the thing that hits me with this. There are acts that live forever. There are specific acts that live forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are you going to do about it? I believe we need a revelation of the worth of Jesus again. We don't see him as we should. He's mostly in an addendum to a good, balanced Christian life in the South. He's a good person that we love and we thank him for dying, but we live mostly disconnected from him. We don't see his value and his worth. And I promise you, the point isn't to tell you to do more. My desire and prayer for you is that you would see more. 
I'm not here to beat you up over giving more and loving more and sacrificing more and praying more. I promise you that when you see more, those are byproducts. The point about Mary is she saw him. She discovered who he was, and when she discovered who she was, she made concrete decisions and said, I care less about your opinion of me. I will never let anyone talk me out of a life at his feet. I will not sell that for a billion dollars. I won't sell that for a billion betrayals and offenses. The devil will use two things to get you off his feet. Number one, he'll use opportunity. If he can't get you with opportunity, he'll use you with betrayal and offense from good Christian brothers and sisters. I refuse to let anything talk me away from his feet. There are crushing seasons. Some of you have been in the John 11 season and you've disconnected your heart. Jesus is so kind. He goes, we're going to go again, buddy. We're going to go again. We're going to get back into the tension. He is so kind. He is so patient. He prays you through your darkest nights. Do you know that? I love what he said. Can you put Luke 20, uh, 22, verse 31 up here, and then I'll end with this. This is what Jesus loves to do. Some of you have kind of lost your way in the journey. And this is what Jesus would say to you, Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Just put 31 up there just so we can see that. And it might be too much, whatever. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Here it is. Indeed Satan has asked for you. Now keep this up here. Don't, don't go to the other verse just yet. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Anybody ever felt like Satan's taking his best shot at you? What in the world is this that Satan can even talk to Jesus about somebody else wanting to take him out of? And I can almost hear Peter going, and Lord, you told him no, didn't you? <laughs> it's almost like verse 32, and Peter's like, and? <laughs> and I'm going to fill in the blanks. Jesus said, he asked for you. And I told him to take his best shot on one condition. Look at verse 32. <clears throat> verse 32. <laughs> but I've prayed for you. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> but I've prayed for you. That your faith should not fail, and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Come on, stick with me here. Just a couple more minutes. Some of you have been in those John 11 seasons, and it's hard to live in the tension. I get it. But in those kind of seasons, I want you to know, Jesus' intercession for you is calling you off your caves, calling you out of your caves, calling you out of hiding calling you out of fear, calling you out of God. I don't know what to, I don't know how to reconcile this. I don't know how to navigate this pain. Jesus's prayers are going to pray you through into the other side that your faith would not fail 
And the power of your testimony is actually going to strengthen other people. I want you to know that he forever lives to make intercession for you. And that he is praying you through into the fullness of your destiny. Fire. 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 I understand the four days late. I understand the emotions, having it, losing it, getting it, losing it, getting it. And in that season, his prayers pray you through. Fire. Let's just stand across the room. I want to pray for you. Fire. Fire. Let's have the worship team come up here. Fire. 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 If this is you and and this is speaking to you, I want you to come up here right now. I want to pray for you. Oh. Fire, 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 fire. Push all the way in. Come all the way to the stage. Come all the way to the stage. Just want to make room. Fire, fire, fire. Just open up your hand to the Lord right now all over the room. Fire. He's going to pull you out and pull you through. Do something intense. Father, I pray right now that you would, yeah, that's great right there. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. I believe with all my heart that there's a Mary of Bethany company that's come through Lazarus death seasons. But Father, I believe, Jesus, you're showing up into Bethany in this season. I believe you're showing up into Bethany in this season. I believe you're speaking to to people that have been dead, marriages that have been dead, children that have been dead, finances that have been dead, and you're saying, take away the stone. And you're speaking in this season. You're bringing us forth. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, it's not over for you, friend. I pray right now. He ain't letting you go. He's praying you through to the other side. Yeah. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over every work of Satan, every lying spirit, tormenting spirit. I take authority over every voice of accusation. I take authority right now over every spirit that says you're disqualified. God, I just pray, let it cut us right now. Take the pain, the frustration, the confusion, and let it surface on the inside and bring us into that kind of praying, God.